Hey everybody, welcome to episode 49 of the Masterclass. I'm Cam, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Mr. David Hogue. Dave, what is going on, sir? Uh, recording a podcast. You too? Yes. Wow, what a coincidence. I know. Yeah. It is, it is Monday night, so we've been recording on Mondays lately, just due to scheduling issues, as they say. As they say. Um, but I'm going to let the, the listeners in on a little secret here, Dave. Uh-oh. We've been talking for almost an hour before we even started <laughs> recording. <laughs> so it's been, uh, we're, we're starting a little bit late. So if we seem uh, sleepy or easily distracted, it's because, well, we're usually almost done recording by this time. So anyways, we're happy that you're here. This is episode 49. We're on the precipice of a big milestone. I want to do something special for episode 50, but I have zero ideas. I think we should go against the Super Bowl, and they went from Roman numerals to regular. Yes, so we Arabic should, numerals is what. Yeah, we have. they're Arabic. So I think next week we should record episode L. Ooh, <laughs> instead I think of episode fifty, just to be just to be those guys. <laughs> but dear listeners, if you have any ideas of what we should do for episode fifty. Um, our budget is small. I cannot get Han Solo on the show. I'm sorry. He's out of our price range. But if there's anything that you think would be fun or interesting for us to do, let us know and we'll see what we can pull off. You've got a week. So don't delay. Probably even shorter than that. Between... Yeah, because by the time you hear it, it'll be, by the time we release it, it'll be Wednesday morning. So you've got five days at that point for your great idea uh, to come to fruition. So, yes. hey, Dave. Yep. If our listeners wanted to say, maybe give us an awesome idea, how might they do so? Ah, that's a good I don't know. <laughs> it's been 49 they episodes, can... <laughs> man. You got to have this down no, by now. No, no, I will never have this down. <laughs> uh, they can reach us um, at Masterclass FM on Twitter. That is true. Yes. And then masterclassfm at gmail.com if they'd like to. Yeah, and to. why do we have a Gmail address? Because uh, it's free. Yeah, I'm way too cheap to pay for email. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not happening. So, and then uh, specifically, they can reach you at Cam Brennan. On this Twitter. is also true. You are three for three, sir. And then they can reach me at 108HBO. Oh, perfect four for four. And then I suppose they can go to the – they can put stuff on the show notes too, couldn't they? Isn't there a blog or leave a comment? They can leave comments, yeah, on the show notes. Which – where might those be? Uh, see, that this is a See, you're at four for four. Let's, <laughs> come on, Dave. Don't settle for I a I don't B, know. What, what, it's at masterclassfm.com oh, we're on a roll. slash masterclass yep. slash number four nine. I'll give it to you. On is Jeopardy, it, you would have been wrong. There's no number. It's just slash 49. You don't want anyone entering? So what, there's no what now? Number, like the number sign. The hashtag, as the kids call it. So, oh, just, so slash 49. Yes. On Jeopardy, you probably would have gotten it wrong because those judges are mean. They are mean. But I will give it to you, sir. A perfect five for five. Hooray. And, <sighs> and did you know that there's actually a different name for a hashtag? What's that? A I pound sign. No, it's not even the pound sign. It's like ampersand or something like that. An ampersand is the fan. I'm wearing a hoodie with an ampersand <laughs> on ampersand. it. No, it's something like that is what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's an actual 
um, oh, I'm now ampersand. I'm it's something thoroughly s- confused. Similar to that, but I can't remember. And I want to say it has something to do with one, two, three, four, five, six. I want to say it has something to do with eight, but I don't know why. But why would it be eight? Because there's nine squares. Because there's eight um, ends of the parallel lines that intersect oh, with each other. Is it an eight sand? It might be. That's a really stupid name. <laughs> I think I'm just making stuff up now. I, I think you are as well. I think so. you've, you've taken our listeners down a devious and mean-spirited path, Dave. Useless information. Uh, well, that's what we're good at. We're guys, right? All right. Uh, that, that was the intro. <laughs> uh, I have some sad news, Dave. Oh, no. My namesake mm-hmm. lost the Super Bowl yesterday. Mm, Spoiler alert, by the way. I uh, I felt a little sad. Were you rooting for him? Uh, not necessarily, but there's not too often that a cam is featured in a major sporting event. It's an Octothorpe. An Octothorpe. While we're on the topic, thank you. <laughs> I was like, I know I didn't make this up. <laughs> uh, see, well, now, we're still we're still on the topic of names. Any any time we're talking that about your name, any time that I reference. Twitter now, I'll be like, oh, Octothorpe. Uh, what's a good hashtag? I don't even know. Octothorpe Masterclass. That's going to catch on you could, totally. You could hashtag Octothorpe. <sighs> Octothorpe. 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 Oh, but would Octothorpe. it be hashtag or Octothorpe? Oh, man. There's a lot of, there's a lot of possibilities there. Yes. You know what I realize? The people that listen to the show for the first time of this episode are going to be very, very confused because we haven't mentioned Jesus or the Bible yet, and we've been doing this for, let's see, drum roll, six minutes. <laughs> yes, but <laughs> it's we, were been doing nothing... it, we were doing it all for his glory. Yeah, gibberish for God's glory. That's it can exactly, be done. It can, well, he is a powerful. He can move mountains, Dave. Yes. So I didn't realize that uh, you would be upset that well, I wasn't so much upset. Okay. Like I'm, I'm very disappointed. No, I'm very happy. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> angry. I'm just disappointed. I can't wait to pull that card. That's gonna be awesome. Um, no, I, I, I appreciate the poetic ending. I, I'm assuming the poetic ending of Peyton Manning's career. Mm-hmm. I think he's pretty much done. Um, at the same time, I think this is like if we're gonna view this in like. Uh, uh, the ending of one career and sort of the beginning of the next. Exactly. It's very, right. it's very like Hollywood. Yeah. Right. So this is where all the people think the NFL is staged. Like pro wrestling is are having a field day. Right. Uh, the number one or number two quarterback of his generation, depending on where you fall in Tom Brady, uh, goes out in a blaze of glory, not the greatest game of his career, probably not even like the, he won 200 games. This is probably like his 196th best win as far as performance is concerned. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a very nice bookend to his career. They go to the Super Bowl two years. They get slaughtered by the Seahawks. Uh, they come back, bounce back. They win in a very non-Peyton Manning way. Strong defense, decent run game. He doesn't throw the ball a whole lot. Um, but still, you get the, the the fuzzy good feeling of Peyton Manning winning, which is which I appreciate. But at the same time, you see... Cam Newton, who's very, um, he, he's just very honest about who he is. He wears his heart on his sleeve. When he's excited, everyone knows it. When he's upset, everyone knows it. And this is apparently polarizing. If you listen to the media, I, 
What's wrong with a guy having emotion? I think it's awesome. Well, and he's a young guy too. Well, so. and, and he's a young black guy, unfortunately. Unfortunately, and, well, no, not not. Oh God, that sounds horrible. No, not. Oh my gosh. Oh, I sound like a total idiot. No, it's not unfortunate that he's a young black man. It is unfortunate that because he is a young black man, go. the media is scrutinizing everything that he yeah. does, and. I just want to be like, he is a young, freakishly talented quarterback that has helped turn around a franchise that was awful. Mm-hmm. And you're you're mad at him because he celebrates too much when he does very difficult things? Yeah. I don't understand that. And I was like, if if he was Steve Young... Would you be this upset about it? He was a young upstart that celebrated a lot and ran the football. No one really hated on him, as far as I remember, for being polarizing. Um, but you get to see this this high rise to 15-1, and one, mm-hmm. and then the loss in the Super Bowl and his very, very somber reaction at the press conference. And so I kind of see it as this very, like, um, almost movie style of Peyton Manning his career sunsets and oh, it's just all nice and beautiful and all that stuff. And, and Cam Newton is had very good success for a young quarterback is going to go through this little uh, crucible as you will of, of really playing terribly on uh-huh. the biggest stage. And you'll get to see how he responds to it. So like if I were to write the script, this is how I would write it, especially if Cam Newton is going to become the face of the NFL as so many people are predicting. Yeah. Um, I just think, yeah, like if I were writing a story, this would be how it would end or how it would go. And then Cam Newton go on to great and wonderful things. I'm sure he will. So, but yeah, it's, I, I, I just think it's interesting that, you know, the people that are making the statements and judging him, I doubt could handle a national stage as well as you know he. Well, did. and people were getting on his like getting on his dad for being too involved. And I read an article on ESPN that's like, so wait, you criticize black fathers on a national scale for not being involved enough in the lives of their children, and then you find a very specific example of a dad who's doing everything he can to look out for his kid, and you're going to criticize him for being too involved. Yeah. Like, how can you win in in? You can't. <laughs> no, and that's what's frustrating. Yeah. And, and I didn't mean to get into a conversation about race, but I can't help it now. Is like I have a limited understanding of the world being a upper-middle-class white guy. My view of the world is life is, frankly, cake. Right. And I know that based on my experience growing up in and around Detroit, that that is a very um, – what sort of, uh, I'm trying to think of the best word here. It is a very, um, easy place to be. And that there are many, many, many people on the planet that do not get to, um, reap the benefits of being a young, white, upper middle-class male in America. Mm-hmm. And what I don't understand about this whole race card, and especially when it comes to sports, um, is that we, we, we treat Cam Newton differently than we do say, um, 
I'm trying to think of another good young white quarterback. Even Marcus Mariota, who's not a white guy. He's from Hawaii. His family is Samoan. But because he is reserved and uh, not black, he does not get the scrutiny that, say, Jameis Winston or Cam Newton do or Michael Vick did. Now, granted, Michael Vick did the whole dogfighting thing, which he did his time for, and he was welcomed back into the league. And and Jameis Winston did a few um, sketchy things, and Cam Newton had one sketchy thing. But I, I guess the comparison would then be like Johnny Manziel. Like, he's getting skewered by the media. Yeah. And he's a white guy. So maybe maybe the media is not as... I don't know, messed up as, as I want it to be. I just, I find it hard to believe that, that Cam Newton's the bad guy in all of this because he's emotional, you right. know? And I just wonder if he was a white guy, what the scrutiny would be. Yeah. I don't know if any of that made sense. <laughs> I just, I just, I don't get it, Dave. And I just, I don't have the, the mental capacity or patience for the kind of bullcrap I see when it comes to race. Like, I love that we're different colors. I love that we come from different backgrounds, and I love that our cultures are different, and I mm-hmm. think that that reflects God's intention in the world. He didn't make us all green. Mm-hmm. He didn't make us all five foot ten. He didn't make us all with big noses or whatever, right? We are all different and we mm-hmm. complement each other in that difference. And the fact that people choose to pick on the differences that they have no control over. I did not choose to be born right in an yeah. upper middle class white family. That's not a choice I get to make. I did not choose to be six foot one. I did not choose to be a little chubby. I did not choose to be unathletic, especially. I did not choose that one. And nor did, nor did Cam Newton choose to be born into a black family where his dad actually cares about him or any of this stuff. Like why the, the things that we judge each other the hardest for are the things that we have no control over how we look. Oh yeah. Like our bone structure. You, you, you don't get to choose to be pretty or ugly. You don't get to choose to be tall or short to an extent, you can choose to be fat or skinny, but your genetics still play a huge part mm-hmm. in your propensity for one or the other, yeah. right? But those are the things that we judge each other the hardest on instead of the things that we choose to be, like loving people, right. full of grace, merciful, the fruit of the spirit, right? Are we jerks or are we nice? Do we care for people or are we selfish? The things that we should get annoyed by are the things that we just say, oh, whatever. But the things that we have zero control over become the things that we obsess about. Yeah. And it doesn't make any sense to me. Oh, man. All right, I'm done. We got to move on to the main topic. All right, Dave. Now that I have completely uh, exhausted myself, uh, <laughs> would you please uh, read the scripture for today's episode for us? Sure. Matthew 13, 24 through 30. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weed, weed, weeds, I couldn't get that S out, weeds among the wheat (laughs) and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, 
Did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest the gathering of weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. All right. Mm-hmm. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mm. All right. So this is our second actual parable that we are mm-hmm. discussing. And again, we have this theme of sowing seeds. Mm-hmm. So Jesus has not at this point yet ventured far away from this whole farming analogy. Nope. Um, but this one is different from last week in a very, uh, I believe, key aspect in that he is planting all of the seed in good soil. Right, these these uh, grains or wheat, as it is, um, are going to grow. Yeah. But the the twist in this parable is that when the farmer's men are sleeping, his enemy sneaks in and sows weeds among the wheat. So my my initial question is this to you, sir. Mm-hmm. Why does God allow the enemy to plant weeds because, and and here's the background for the question. Um, I firmly believe that God has the ability to prevent this from happening Mm -hmm. because I believe that God is all powerful, Mm -hmm. which the Bible teaches. Yep. So if the enemy is able to come in and, plant these weeds among the weed is not because God is inept or unable, unable, sorry, to stop him. It is because he allows it to happen. And so this, mm-hmm. this obviously leads quickly to the problem of evil, but <laughs> let's just focus on this parable for the time being. Mm-hmm. Why would God allow this to happen? Um, I think one of the, the things with this is, is, is if you're going to ask the why would he allow this to happen, um, you go back to the the book of Genesis, because because that's what exactly happens in paradise, is he is he allows the enemy to have access to his creation, his perfect creation, and it, it it's kind of the same thing that you're talking about there. Surely God could have kept Satan out of the garden. Yes, no shirts, um, no shoes, no snakes. That's yeah, what. exactly, and so. <laughs> Whether you believe that uh, it's allegorical or it happened exactly the way it records in the book of Genesis, yeah, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter, it, and that's why I think that's one of the things I I'd like for people to to not get hung up on those kinds of things. Is the reality is is God could have kept Satan could have kept e- evil um, out of the Garden of Eden. I believe he can keep it out of our lives. Uh, it's one of the things that he taught us uh, when, you know, he's like, Jesus, how do we pray? You know, one of the things he tells us to pray is deliver us from evil. Um, and so, yeah, definitely he can do that. And obviously I, I believe he has a desire to do that. Uh, I, I think there is an element, um, and I should probably be able to have a scripture to back this up, but... Uh, God is, God is about choice and us choosing him. And so in order for there to be a choice and for us to choose him, then there has to be something 
to choose against him. And um, so I, for me, and I, I don't know that I've ever really gotten into the uh, trying to explain this to somebody else, but I feel like it, it makes sense in my head is that um, if you have a good, perfect God and you have a good, perfect God who allows uh, free will, he allows the ability to choose, um, then in that, um, you have evil because there has to be something the opposite of a good God to choose and that becomes evil. And so in my mind, um, God doesn't create evil, but it's, it's the natural consequence of a God that is perfect God that allows us to, to have free will and to choose him. So, um, well, here's my response to that. Okay. First of all, let me say that I agree with you, but I'm going to, um, for the lack of a better phrase, play devil's advocate. I wish we, <laughs> I wish we had a, a different phrase for that. Um, but okay. So God has, God doesn't have to, he chooses to provide choice for us, which I think you, I, I agree wholeheartedly with you on. There has always been a choice, even from the beginning. Mm-hmm. You can have all of this, but do not eat from that tree. Right. The choice is all or eat from this tree and be expelled, right? Mm-hmm. So from, from the very get-go, there is God sets up parameters and choices for us to make mm-hmm. and lets us deal with the consequences. Now... My response or my, or my question is why why is it so drastic? God presents what he has to offer and then the choice that he allows to happen is so enticing. It wouldn't be like choose God or tapioca pudding. Mm-hmm. Which would be oh clearly I'm going to choose God because tapioca pudding is disgusting. Right. And if you like it I don't want to be your friend. But <laughs> In this instance, it's choose God, which is the long, slow grind of being built into what we were originally intended to be versus, oh, hey, look at this really sexy option over here that's super fast and makes you feel good now. And oh, by the way, is poison on the inside. Mm-hmm. Like, it just seems to me that now and this is me being selfish. I would have much rather the ch- the decision be like, here's God and here is the right way to live life. And it's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it versus here's a giant pool full of tapioca pudding. This is the rest of your life. That that There's a no brainer there to me. Mm-hmm. And so what I find interesting is that God presents you a choice that is very, very tempting to choose. He does not offer you the Ugh, versus the oh duh answer. It's the wow, that looks really promising, but this is very, very tempting because it seems much easier. And and so I just I wonder I wonder why God made God allowed the choice to be such a temptation. Because it's like, you know, uh Growing up, my parents, you know, they gave me choices, mm-hmm. but they were smart choices. Either clean your room now and go be able to play with your friends outside the rest of the night, or 
don't clean your room and be grounded for the whole week. 20 minutes, room cleaned, I'm outside playing street hockey. Like it was a smart choice. They they got what they wanted, which was a clean and orderly room. I got what I wanted, which was street hockey, and everybody was happy. It wasn't, now learn Latin in two days or be grounded for the rest of your life. Like the, the, the decisions were not as drastic as they seem here. And so I guess I'm just, I want to pick your brain about that. Why, why did God make the choice so um, black and white, if, if that phrase fits, which I'm not sure. Um, because I, and I think this is what we, um, going back to Dallas Willard and the divine conspiracy, is I think what you're describing with your parents would fall under that category of the gospel of behavior modification. Your, your parents give you two, give you what appear to be choices, but are really not choices. It's just getting me to do what they wanted all along. It's yeah. manipulation to get you to behave in the way that they want you to behave. So for God, I think it has to be, uh, again, I, and I wish I had a better, this I guess might personally be my own homework for the week, but I just feel like that there's this if you have a holy divine God that is truly awesome, truly perfect, and that, that there's this choice involved where you could choose against it, that it, it's kind of a, you know, and I know this falls short, but I feel like there has to be an opposite and equal reaction to, you know, it has to truly be tempting. It truly has to be more than behavior modification. It has to be heart change. It has to be um, something deeper because, um, you know, the gospel is not about behavior modification, even though that's so often what we break it down to. Yeah. Um, and so for it to truly be a choice, there has to be, because, you know, and I, there's not a lot said about the fall of Satan, but he was able to choose against God probably in an easier situation than anybody has ever had. Uh, even, you know, more so than Adam and Eve, even so more so than us today living with weeds all around us. What made him think that he could stand up to God, defeat God? I, I mean, I, like, that's one of those where I'm just like, wow, talk about it being spelled out for you and it should be a really easy choice. And yet he didn't do that. Um, and so he's probably delusioned like those people that try out for American Idol and sound like dying cats. <laughs> like he probably had that whole like syndrome going on of my poop doesn't stink. I'm awesome. All, I mean, just all of that crazy pride. But, but again, to your point, how does that develop in the situation in which he was? Where, like, where does that come from? Mm -hmm. And I just, I can't help but think that for some strange reason, God has faith in us to see what's really going on. And this, to me, seems insane. Because there's a lot of times I can't even tell you what's going on in the room within mm -hmm. which I am. Because I'm so self-centered and I'm so focused on how I feel and how the people around me are reacting to me and all the stuff that, that God has from the beginning 
just said, I'm going to create this immense galaxy. I'm going to create this planet with stars and the moon and the sun and the mm-hmm. seas and the ocean and the animals and all this crazy diversity that we see around us, all these beautiful things that we see that, from the Christian standpoint, exist for a sole purpose, which is to alert us to the reality of God, that we did not just happen upon this place that we call home. Mm-hmm. That the reason that there is diversity and the reason that there is innate beauty in the mountains and the oceans and the animals and the skies is because God designed it that way. And I'm going to go back on my question earlier of why did God make, you know, this other life so tempting? It's just like, why did he make his life so beautiful? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and how is it that we can look at what sin offers and look at what God offers and with freakish consistency choose the sin over what he offers. Because if you just open your eyes, I mean, I have been fortunate to see um, a decent portion of the world in person. I've seen pretty much all of it online, Mm. but I've been to Africa. I have, you know, I have been across most of North America in person. I have seen the Himalayas in videos and photos. I've seen the Great Coral Reef in videos and photos. Like all of these just crazy, awesome, huge things. And yet I'm still just like, yeah, sin, sin seems like a good idea. It really, you know, just kind of hits hits that niche that I really just, you know, need. And, and it just makes me feel like an absolute idiot mm-hmm. some days when I choose that over just the absolute beauty of what God's life is. Right. And that's the those are the days where I'm just like angry with God because he gave me a choice. <laughs> yeah. You left this up to me to choose. Do you know how stupid I am? You really want to place my eternal destiny in my own hands. That's mm-hmm. that's just dumb. That's just a stupid idea because I know me and I make stupid decisions that are very selfish. Um, and so I just, I go back and forth on this whole choice thing. God clearly gives us choice. This is not the only part in scripture, as we've already mentioned, where God gives us choice. Mm-hmm. Eat it, don't eat it. Follow me, don't follow me. All of, you know, sell all your belongings for the great, the pearl, the other, mm-hmm. you know, analogy that we find, uh, the, the other parable. And I think I get mad at God because I keep screwing up and keep choosing wrong. So I'm kind of totally blame shifting just like Adam did. Oh, it was her. It was all her fault. I didn't no part. It right. wasn't my bad. It was all her. I was scratching myself and I just was, couldn't be distracted. Um, and so I, I, I think I take some of that, out on God, but I just, it really, I guess it all comes down to, I just, it would be so much easier if the choice wasn't so enticing, you know, which really gets to the root of it, that God wants us to choose in the midst of a good option, not even a, in the midst of an enticing option, Mm -hmm. God wants us to forego the instant or even um, momentary seemingly good thing for the long-term benefit of what he has to offer 
and I just think we suck at that. Yeah, and I guess, and I probably haven't articulated this well, is that I, I guess I don't feel like there is necessarily this conscious, like, God going, okay, I have to make sin really enticing. Because I don't think God is is doing that. Yeah, no, I don't I, think I, I think it's this natural consequence of a perfect God plus the ability to make that choice equals the option is going to appear very, very good. Well, and, and as much as I want to think this, Satan is not an idiot. He realizes the chance that he has. And so he, I, I believe he's taking full advantage of the choice that God is giving us. Mm-hmm. Because I believe, based on what Scripture says, that he understands what's going to happen in the end. Mm-hmm. And he's in that, if I'm going down, you're all going down with me mm-hmm. mentality. And so I don't think that God is like, ooh, I'm going to tempt them with every possible thing just right. to see who really likes right. me. I think it's, I need to provide, I don't need, I choose to provide a choice for my people because I want my people to choose me, to love me, right. to be, to want to be with me for eternity. And Satan is like, ooh, I see an entry point. I'm going to try and take as many of them down as possible mm-hmm. so that they all suffer with me. Um, so I don't think that God is vindictive or twisted or sociopathic in, in that sense. I think that he is looking for a genuine desire to be in relationship with him mm-hmm. and, and genuine desire comes from choice, comes from sacrifice, comes from a willingness to do what is required to make that relationship work, which brings us to the analogy of marriage, right? Of Christ doing what he had to do and sacrificing what he had to sacrifice to be the savior of his people. And, and it's, it's a very clear picture to me that that's what God's looking for from us to be with him is the sacrificing of the seemingly, uh, momentary gratifications to seek what is good in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's, it's frustrating because I'm not good at that. Right. I'm just not. And I'm not, you know, discipline is not my strong suit. <laughs> no. Um, and so it's just, it's just, it's, it's a concept and it's an action that I struggle with. Mm-hmm in saying, I know what I believe in my head. It makes sense in my head. But when it comes down to the actual doing of that in, you know, time and space, it's a struggle. All of a sudden, what is clear in my head becomes very murky of, well, I can kind of do it and kind of, because I want to scratch my itch now, but I also want, you know, what's good in the end. And in this case, that's very, very true that you cannot have your cake and eat it too. (laughs) That's not how it works. No. So I don't know. Part of me wishes that God made the choice easier, but I I definitely, at least intellectually understand. I think, I think I understand why the choice is not that simple. It just doesn't make me happy. (laughs) 
Yeah, and I, you know, again, I, I guess I even kind of come back to the, I don't know that the choice could, you know, because God is truth. And I don't feel like he, I, I think they're just basic laws that he operates within in terms of him being truth and that sort of thing that just, that's, that is the natural outcome of those things. And, um, you know, as, as, as we've been talking about this, Isaiah 55, 8, 9 is what has been coming to my head. And um, it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your, neither are my ways Boy, butchered that one. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And that's, you know, um, ultimately I don't think we want to serve a God that we can completely understand and completely put in a box, because then he's not God. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Let's move on. So, as we keep on reading this parable, um, I find it interesting that the servants come to the master and say, Did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he says to them, Ah, oh, an enemy's done this. Mm-hmm. So he admits to it. It's, you know... They keep going, and he says, then do you want us to go and gather them? And this is what I find very interesting about this parable, is that he said, no, let the gathering of weeds, you, uh, sorry, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them, let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time, I'll tell the reapers to gather the weeds first and bind them into bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. I find it, I think, to... To almost prove our point, um, or vice versa, that we're letting the Bible prove the point to us, that because because God gives us the choice does not mean that He is not in control. No, yeah, He He is still able to attain mm-hmm. His end goal while somehow keeping all of the plates spinning of potential choices that we can make along the way. Um, and this reminds me um, somehow, I don't know how this just came into my head, but Bruce Almighty, mm-hmm. when when uh, Morgan Freeman gives Jim Carrey the job of the email and he replies yes to everything because he can't handle all of the requests <laughs> and the world just goes crazy. Like just imagine all of the potential outcomes that God is orchestrating towards his end. Just just in your own life alone, all of the decisions that you make, on the grand scale, what job do I take, who do I marry, how many kids do I try to have, that sort of stuff, to the very macro of, or, you know, where do I move? That, like, you know, my wife and I moved halfway across the country. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it, it hasn't been what I expected, but it's worked out pretty well so far, um, versus some of the micro decisions you make. How do I treat this person? Mm-hmm. How do I act towards that person? How do I serve these people? And God is keeping all of those choices, all of those variables that you make, and he's still working all of it towards the end where at the harvest, the wheat goes one way and the weeds or the chaff go the other. And he is able to maintain his his overall control over all of this stuff, and you multiply that by the billions 
and billions of people that have ever lived and will ever live. And, you know, I just kind of want to go sit in the corner and suck my thumb. (laughs) Yeah, but I think in some ways this should be, it should be reassuring because, like you said, God is in control and so he knows that we are in the field with the weeds. And I think one of the things for me that um, I, I find it interesting the number of people that seemed shocked that there are weeds. <laughs> you mean life's not supposed to be easy, Dave? Yeah, like I, I, I like I just it, like the people that are like, yeah, I, Jesus wants you to be rich and, and never be <laughs> sick and make your life easy. Yeah, but but even in that, it's like even people that, um you know, are missionaries and choose to live in third world countries and, um, you know, sacrifice the comforts of middle-class, upper-class America. Uh, and then they get there and they're like, Oh my gosh, there's weeds here. You know, there's opposition. There's, there's people. And it's like, yeah, that's, I mean, it's (laughs) welcome to reality. That's Jesus says it's going to be that way. So why are you surprised that there are weeds? And uh, for that matter, it's, uh, why are you surprised that there's weeds in your family? Why are you surprised that there are weeds that, why are you surprised that your friends turned out to be weeds? Because Jesus died so I could have an easy life, Dave. (laughs) Duh. Again, that's in First Yolanda seven five. First truly, <laughs> truly, I say unto you, be lazy and eat of all the foods. Whatever you want, I will give it unto thee. Yes, an infinite genie. Just finish your prayers with in the name of Jesus. Yes, in the name of Jesus, I prosperity gospel you. <laughs> so I, so yeah, I, again, I and I, I mean. I need to probably own some of this a little bit myself of, you know, complaining uh, when there are weeds because I've been very blessed. And then when there is a weed or two, I seem to get annoyed by it. Um, But Jesus is very clear that that's going to happen. And um, it's, uh, again, I I, I think God is, Jesus in this parable is, is saying, I mean, he's really kind of giving us this sense of this is what you should expect. This is what you are going to encounter. And um, it's not going to be until the end that the weed gets separated from the good seed and one is thrown in the fire and one is not. So, Yeah, I think if I had to sum up the main... Not the main. If I if I had to sum up the the lesson from this parable, it would be that God has given you life. He's planted you, right? He has He has called you to life mm-hmm. for a purpose because He planted you, mm-hmm. and He has also allowed things to be a temptation to you. He has allowed those weeds, whatever, whatever that may be. He has. In his foreknowledge, given you life, but also allowed the temptations in your life to be there for a reason. Because he knows that at the end, 
after the wheat has fully matured and the weeds have done their best that he can separate them then. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's like the saying iron sharpens iron. At this point I'm thinking if you're a if you're a wheat and you grow up in a field full of wheat, you've never known hardship, right? You've never had to choose what is right. You've never had to stand up for what is truth. You've never had to battle against oppression or prejudice or whatever, you know, the case may be in your situation. And and I feel like God places and allows the weeds or the hard times or the the oppression or what whatever form that takes in your life. God allows that because he wants it to sharpen you to make you realize how much you need him, how good he is, how how wonderful his grace and mercy are so that it it drives you towards him. And so I just I think I guess if I had to sum this this whole parable up in one thought it would be the hardships of life do not disprove God. Mm-hmm. The hardships in life remind you of how good God is and what he has in store for you. Right. And I think depending on your circumstance, that can be very hard to remember. Sure. Uh, certainly. Um, but I think my hope is that this parable would remind you that God is ultimately in control and whatever, whatever the hardships you are facing right now are, they are not bigger than God. Um, and, and I don't mean for this to sound patronizing whatsoever. Um, all, all I'm trying to communicate here is that your pain may be real. Not not your pain may be. Your pain is real. Yeah. The hurt that you feel is real. And the uh, sorrow or despair or uh, uncertainty you feel is very real. But for as real as that is, God's plan is still in place over the long run of eternity and what God has called you to has not changed. And so, I mean, for someone like me who has been struggling for the last two plus years to know what I'm supposed to do (laughs) and what I'm supposed to work, like I'm not oppressed in the sense that I'm being um, publicly, you know, flogged for my belief in in Christ. I'm not being um, ostracized. I'm not being condemned because I'm a Christian. But I have been, for the last two years, dealing with a very, very deep discontentment about what I'm here for. I I went to school. I went to grad school. I, I, I poured myself into ministry. And then after three and a half years, I stopped. Mm-hmm. And the last two years have been very disappointing from a standpoint of what am I doing with my life? Right. I love my wife. I love my friends. They've all been great to me. But my, my thing that I've been dealing with for those two years is I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting the prime of my life <laughs> working at a bank. And so I have to remind myself 
that just because I feel like I'm wasting my time right now, God's plan for me eternally has not changed. Just because I'm unhappy or just because I think this is stupid doesn't change the fact that this is where God has me. Mm -hmm. And his plan for my life involves or includes this. This is part of where I am. It's part of who he is making me become. It is teaching me all these things. And day to day, I don't think like this. Day to day, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to go to the bank tomorrow. Like that's what I'm thinking right now. I don't want to go to work tomorrow. I don't. I don't want to deal with customers. I don't want to do any of that. But God offered me a choice. I took the choice to stop doing youth ministry. And now I am trying to work through the consequences of that. And I just, I think that while while my story is not tragic, it's not um, full of sorrow. It's, it is, but it's a very realistic story of making a decision and then dealing with the discontentment that may follow. You know, I, I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it does. But it's, I mean, I have to believe, if I, if I choose to believe what God says and what the Bible says, especially in this parable, I have to, I have to believe that some of the situations that I have gone through in the last two years, God is using to strengthen me and is using to draw me towards him. Yeah. Or he's giving me the option to choose to do so. Yeah. And some days I choose them, and some days I say, screw it, I've got this on my own. And those days don't go very well. Right. But Yeah, and, you know, I, I think um, in some ways you described very much um, what was going on with Jesus and his disciples uh, and the Pharisees uh, when he is giving them this parable. Um, and this is this is kind of I think the the paradigm shift or the switch that Jesus did here is the Jews were expecting the Messiah to come, declare his kingdom, sit on his throne, and it was all going to happen as soon as the is the Messiah came. And Jesus didn't do things the way everybody thought he was going to do it, but the consistent theme during his time his ministry here on earth, throughout the parables, throughout the scripture is that there, you know, and, and you look at every stinking story, even in the Old Testament, I, I mean, the theme of waiting on God and His timing and not ours is just a constant. I know, I hate it so much. <laughs> and, I, and that's the thing that's like, it's like for, you know, anybody that genuinely looks at the Bible from beginning to end and really looks at it, I mean, that has got to be one of the central themes is is our way versus God's way, waiting on him, uh, forcing the situation to what we think it should be. And yet I am constantly surprised by the fact that, oh, I've got to wait on God. Again, so I'm I'm just as guilty as everybody else that I wanted to point the finger at earlier of just, why are you surprised when it happens this way? And it's like, well, <laughs> you fall in that category as well. So, and it's, uh, again, it doesn't mean it's easy it doesn't mean, Certainly. you know, and, and here's even the other thing of you don't know what somebody else is going through, you know, just because from your perspective, it, it, it may not, oh, well, you know, Cam and what you're going through, well, that's nothing compared to what so-and-so did. Yeah, it's it does, not a it's, competition. It's not a competition. 
and God has a unique um, challenge, a unique journey for all of us. And um, I don't know. It's not easy, and it's very much it's uh, can get you know I know I get caught up in the moment. And I get caught up in the I want my answers now, and I want to know. And I think the, the reality is, if we did know, we'd all be like, "Oh no, thank you." <laughs> so that's why he only gives us in doses. But anyway, I digress. As do I. Well, I think it's about time to call it. Sure. Episode 49 is now almost in the books. Almost. We get, Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, we just, it means a lot, which I realize is a very ambiguous phrase, um, that people actually listen to the show. <laughs> it's still kind of, even after, you know, over a year, it's still, um, I find it really neat. Yeah. And uh, it just encourages, I think, both Dave and I, um, to keep doing this and, and I mean we do a lot of this just for our own benefit but the fact that other people benefit from it too is just something that we just think is super cool and and we just thank God for so uh, well that's it next week is episode 50 again if you have any ideas for things that we should do uh, you know like singing a song or something which trust me you do not want to hear me sing a song but uh, let us know uh, at MasterclassFM on Twitter or MasterclassFM at gmail.com. And you can get the show notes, like Dave said earlier, at MasterclassFM.com slash Masterclass slash 49. Any final thoughts, David? Uh, just want to shout out thank you to Rachel. for. Did she accept you she on Twitter? She did tw- accept me on Twitter. Oh, my gosh. All so. right. Whew. Big day, Dave. Big <laughs> day. My little sister accepted you on Twitter. Rachel, I feel complete. It's about time. Yes. All right. Well, bye.